Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. Governor Ron DeSantis officially launches his re-election campaign. Trump advisor Roger Stone goes after DeSantis on election integrity. And Florida lawmakers roll out their plan to crack down on vaccine mandates in advance of a special session next week. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson. And those are some of the stories I'll be discussing this week with Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns and Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy. But first... Number picking time, gentlemen. Uh, get some numbers for me today. Uh, how about you, John? Chuck, I sure do. I have a number this week, and it's five. How about you, Antonio? Well, I come in with 30. 30, and I've got 19 billion. Remember those numbers, folks. We'll tell you what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. You might have been forgiven for thinking that DeSantis had launched his reelection campaign months ago. That's because he has essentially been campaigning for the last year or more, raising more than 60 million through a political committee and holding official press conferences that often have looked more like campaign rallies. But in fact, it was only this week that DeSantis actually filed the paperwork to seek a second term. John, you know, why wait on that uh, to file that paperwork? What are you what are your thoughts on his campaign officially getting underway? Well, you know, the governor's slow walk in the announcement on running, I guess, is kind of just theater, uh, you know, plus while he was keeping this uh, plan not so secret, as you point out, it gave him plenty of time to raise tons of money, uh, you know, in, in unlimited contributions to his political spending committee, uh, Friends of Ron DeSantis. And as a full-fledged candidate, which he is now, there may be a, a little bit of a less of a fig leaf that he can hide behind when he seemingly coordinates with this committee to raise money on the on the policies he enacts, which is uh, something I've written about, how the governor's spending committee has been sending out campaign pitches every time he does something like you know, sue Joe Biden, uh, fight with Facebook, uh, talk about salary bonuses for law enforcement, uh, a lot of the things that he does in his role as governor, but which also is a, a political play for him. Uh, you, you know, Florida statewide political candidates are limited to $3,000 individual contributions when they run. But these political committees, like Friends of Ron DeSantis, can uh, raise unlimited amounts while remaining independent from the campaign. But um, DeSantis had, uh, you know, as one of my colleagues in Tallahassee described it, he he'd sort of soft launched his campaign back in uh, September on, uh, you know, where else? Fox News. He uh, told Sean Hannity that he was running for reelection. Uh, and he kind of said that as a way to fend off all the talk of him as a presidential candidate in 2024, which uh, this week in interviews around the state, uh, he continued to make seem like fiction made up by the uh, corporate media, as he likes to call it. Um, and uh, you know, not mentioning the fact that he had been traveling the country, raising money and getting his face before Republican donors for for some reason. Um, so now, you know, he's in. But uh, again, uh, I'm thinking, you know, we may not see that much of a change in his behavior now as a candidate because he's he's sort of been in perpetual campaign mode for much of the past year. Uh, a year and a half, maybe even uh, traveling, raising money and sharpening his attacks on the Biden administration. Um, you know, maybe those attacks will change a little bit now and he'll start teeing off on the uh, Democrats actually running against him. Uh, Charlie Crist, uh, Nikki Freed and Annette Tadeo, those are the prominent ones. And, uh, you know, at some point, uh, you know, you, we may see a little bit of a shift in that attack line from the, the national uh, Democratic uh, image of uh, Joe Biden to a little bit more of a uh, 
you know, local Florida flavored uh, attack. So anyway, I, I think we're going to see more of the same from Ron DeSantis going forward. Well, as DeSantis gets ready to take on the winner of that Democratic primary that John mentioned, he also is getting pressure from his right, including from a prominent figure who has long been close to Trump. Roger Stone has been slamming DeSantis for not bowing to pressure to investigate Trump's unfounded claims of election fraud. Stone said he might even challenge DeSantis as a libertarian candidate for governor, prompting DeSantis to fire back with a quip that Stone can't run for governor because he's a convicted felon. That got Stone riled up even more, and he said that DeSantis owes him an apology. Uh, Antonio, what's going on here? This is pretty unusual for uh, DeSantis to be getting slammed from a prominent figure in MAGA nation. Stone's really known as a, you know, as an instigator, as a, you know, a famously, uh, you know, a dirty trickster under uh, uh, in Nixon's administration. Uh, what kind of what, what, what he, he seems to probably have some kind of agenda here. What do you think? Well, we can I can tell you, you got all the political sphere all worked up again because we have seen been seeing this undercurrent for some time. Remember during the summer when Trump held that Sarasota rally and DeSantis didn't show up and then Trump didn't mention him? Yeah, that got people's tongues a wagon. Then there was Trump's comment that if DeSantis ran against him for the GOP nomination in 2024, Trump said he'd beat him like everybody else. Well, that's definitely kind of MAGA screw your feelings talk. Then, of course, DeSantis said talk of his interest in the 2024 White House run was ridiculous. Even as he was out there loading up on camp, camp, campaign cash and all those key road to the White House states, I guess the number you guys just threw out there, $60 million. That's that's an impressive figure. You know, but this mano a mano with Stone turned up the heat quite a bit. You know, you had Stone basically calling out DeSantis saying he is all talking, but his record really isn't MAGA worthy. And then, you know, you mentioned, Zach, that um, when asked about that, DeSantis referred to you know Stone as a felon. Uh, which is really like a page straight out of Stone's rules book for political trickery. You know, right there on page 81, rule number 52 said, quote unquote, always be ready to display ferocity, but never to anger. And that's what DeSantis did. You know, kind of hit him with this dismissive quip, but minus the anger he has flashed at, say, the media. So basically, the governor threw Stone's own book at him. Now, Stone, not to be outdone, reminded the governor that he got a party from Trump, so he's all clear to run. Look, you know, it's not the first time DeSantis is running to push back from the far right corners of the Trumpian base. A year ago, anti-abortion advocates, for example, were incensed when the governor didn't shut down family planning and abortion clinics during the pandemic business lockdown. That said, you know, DeSantis has spent more than a year building his far right credibility with the base, particularly with efforts to ban mask wearing mandates and the use of vaccine passports. So maybe this is what that's what this is all about. You know, the MAGA crowd wanting DeSantis to do more. Or maybe Stone got a call from Trump to fire a broadside at his political godson to keep him at bay and in line. The question is, you know, is this the beginning of a break between the two? And look, it's significant rhetoric and it's unprecedented. Like you said, Zach, this is really unusual. But what I'm hearing is that a break here just is not wise for either one of them because both DeSantis and Trump's immediate political futures are interwoven. DeSantis needs Trump and the Trump base to keep his re-election odds, odds locked up next year. So why risk a rupture? So you think that it's likely that Trump uh, is aware of this or that Stone is wouldn't be doing this in, unless he thought that uh, Trump would approve of it? And, and if so, what does that say? I mean, uh, is that is that a sort of 
a signal from Trump that, uh, hey, don't get too far ahead of yourself here or, um, you know, just a brush back on DeSantis a little bit that I'm not I'm not afraid to come after you if I have to and try and take you down, even though you've gotten pretty popular with the my MAGA crowd. Yeah, you know, that's a $64 million question. I mean, what, you know, what's what's behind this? Why would Stone pick a fight with DeSantis? Um, and I, I, I it's hard it's hard to tell, but clearly there has been some pushback. You know, we, we, Trump has made his statements. That one about he beat DeSantis was very clear. Obviously, DeSantis has been around the country. He's raised a lot of money. And the one thing we have heard, even here in Palm Beach County, is there are people in the Trump universe who will tell you things like, yeah, you know, I like DeSantis because he's Trump without all the baggage. You know, he's with Trump without the tweeting. And he's, you know, he's kind of this, this figure that they see as more palatable to the middle to try to get a lot of this stuff done. And so that, that you know, may, maybe some of that is also at play here. And, um, but yeah, we'll see that will, uh, this, 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 <laughs> 2022 is only a month away, but a little bit more than a month away, man. But it feels like it's here already. Well, DeSantis may not be giving MAGA Nation everything it wants on the issue of election integrity, but when it comes to combating vaccine mandates that are loathed by conservatives, the governor is all in. He's even taking the unusual step of calling a special session next week to pass legislation on the issue. The bill was rolled out this week, John. There's been a lot of discussion about what's in the bill and what's not in the bill. Does this fall short of what the governor was promising? And if so, why do you think that is? Yeah, well, uh, the bills that are coming up uh, don't contain some of the wildest ideas that the governor had. Uh, probably a concession to the fact that despite all the uh, attaboys we're going to hear from legislators about being called into session to fight uh, federal overreach, at least that's Republican legislators, uh, th th these guys are pretty uncomfortable imposing new regulations on Florida businesses, uh, especially regulations that could leave businesses having to choose between complying with federal law and new state law. Uh, but DeSantis in his earlier talking points on the session, as, as he first uh, promoted it, uh, he, he surprised legislative leaders by saying he wanted the session to defy the uh, what, what then were the expected uh, Occupational Safety and Health Administration rule uh, requiring uh, that employees of companies with 100 or more employees be vaccinated or be regularly tested. Um, uh, that, that is, uh, you know, on its way to take effect uh, in early January. It has been temporarily paused by a Texas uh, federal court, but... Um, it, it, it's expected, I guess, at this point to uh, to emerge. But that's what DeSantis is fighting. And uh, DeSantis was talking even bigger, uh, you, you know, when he when he first came up with the idea of trying to call this special session. He wanted to punish businesses who had vaccine mandates by uh, removing the legal protections they have from lawsuits stemming from employees or customers who contracted COVID-19. Remember, that was a, a, a must-do accomplishment of the uh, Republican-led legislature last spring. But he, uh, DeSantis dropped the idea of trying to remove liability protection from uh, these vaccine-demanding businesses. And uh, he also dropped the idea that people could sue businesses from any, uh, really for any health problems that were caused by 
someone having to get a mandatory vaccine. Uh, th these seem to be kind of uh, drop-offs in policy that the, that the governor has uh, now gone along with, uh, that, that Mark Wilson, the president of the Florida Chamber of Commerce, is saying that means there's no lawsuit problems in the package of bills that legislators are expected to approve this week. But, you know, that, that sounds just like cheerleading by the chamber, which is its usual role for the Republican governor and legislature. Uh, other business associates I've spoken with, most won't go on the record, unfortunately, but they're saying that companies are plenty worried about what this session puts them in the, the, you know, a proverbial rock and a hard place. Do you follow law, uh, federal law, or do you follow state law? And uh, what's considered the supremacy clause in law means federal law takes precedent over state law. So the state is giving businesses an out, but the, uh, the federal government is demanding that larger companies require vaccines or test employees once, at least once a week. Um, DeSantis and, and the legislature want Florida to have these opt-outs for employees ranging from, you know, medical to religious to to lab test supported immunity from COVID because you already had it. Uh, you know, uh, th th that that's a controversial uh, question mark right there. Uh, it's sort of the, you know, the Aaron Rodgers school of, uh, of public health, I guess. But, um, you know, it, companies could still require vaccines but they'd have to let people opt out if they didn't want it. So, so much for Biden's vaccine mandate. Uh, but it's a strange place for this Republican legislature to be, uh, imposing a host of new regulations on Florida businesses, including hefty fines for those who violate some of these, you know, go easy on vaccine policies. And uh, it, it puts them in an awkward kind of a red light, green light choice between the federal and state governments. Uh, the businesses see that as legally risky. Uh, that that doesn't seem very Republican, but it is when, you know, the Republican governor is openly seeking the support of a national voting base that is very tied to Donald Trump and still very anti-vaxxing. Uh, you know, what's the best way to fight big federal government? Well, watch big state government, uh, evidently. You know, that looks like uh, it's going to be how we uh, we counter federal overreach with a, a little bit of state overreach. It definitely seems like uh, businesses are going to be struggling to to figure out what, what do you do? Do you listen to the, the, the state or do you listen to uh, the federal government here? I mean, they're kind of uh, in, a, in a very uh, difficult situation. You know, even though the chamber is saying that th this bill is going to clear up lawsuit issues, it seems like all of this mm -hmm. is certainly destined to go uh, to the courts uh, for resolution. Well, we'll move on to some numbers here. Antonio, you want to talk about uh, yours? Sure, yeah. 30 is the number of oh-so-coveted electoral votes that Florida will have in the 2024 presidential election, in which that year's candidates will desperately want to win. But you know who else wants those electoral votes right now? Michael Steele and a group called Floridians for National Popular Vote. Steele, a former chairman of the Republican National Committee and an MSNBC political analyst, was in West Palm Beach this week with Floridians for National Popular Vote to talk about their plan to change the way presidential electoral votes are awarded. Right now, those votes are awarded by the individual states based on which candidate wins the most votes in that state. For example, in 2020, Florida had 29 electoral votes, which then President Trump won by winning the most votes in Florida. It didn't matter that Trump lost a popular vote nationwide by 7 million ballots. Nope. Presidential elections are won state by state, which is that red and blue map that we see every 
uh, election night every four years. Now, what Steele and Floridians for a national popular vote are advocating is a compact among states which says each state will award their electoral votes to the ticket that wins the votes, the most votes nationally. So, for example, in 2020, under the compact, President Biden would have gotten Florida's 29 electoral votes. The goal is, Steele and advocates say, for everyone's vote to count and not just those in the dozen or so battleground states that can determine who gets the magic 270 electoral votes needed to win the presidency. The advantage, they say, is this would force candidates to barnstorm the whole country to run up votes in red and blue areas rather than basically, as Steele said, quote unquote, elect the president of the battleground states. Steele said that states totaling 195 electoral votes have already signed up for this compact. So they just need states with 75 more electoral votes to join by passing a law saying as much. Florida, with 30 electoral votes, is almost half the outstanding total. And this would not require changing the U.S. Constitution and it would not do away with the Electoral College. It just would require a state to pass a law saying that electors in that state would vote for the candidates that win the national popular vote in the present election. Now, here's the thing. If you're Florida and you're one of those most coveted states, why would you give up that leverage? You know, look at what happened last year with the number of times that Trump, Biden and their surrogates campaign here and the promises they made to voters here in Florida. Why would Florida dilute that standing by agreeing to do this? Well, Steele said because of Texas and because of Florida, too. Steele points out that Florida is getting redder and redder with each passing election cycle and may no longer be a battleground state which means all that election attention we were used to getting is going to start to wane. Meanwhile, he said, Texas is getting purpler and purpler, which means the attention that Florida used to get is likely to go there. And then we become a spectator state like Wyoming or Rhode Island. So there you go, gentlemen. Something, the, the question is, is this something we're just going to talk about for the next 15 minutes, or is this something really to consider? Uh, we'll see pretty soon as the legislature meets, and I guess after the next election cycle. Interesting number. John, how about you? Five is the number of days that Florida's special session could run next week. That's the uh, proclamation signed by Governor DeSantis that pretty much spans all the working days of next week. Uh, most think the session will probably wrap up within three, maybe four days at the most, since uh, the outcome looks pretty well decided. But, you know, uh, you, you know how I like to roll back the clock sometime with my uh, pick a number segment. And uh, the governor's five days to defy Joe Biden is just a little under the seven days it took the Florida Secession Convention in January 1861 to meet in Tallahassee and agree that what they called the nation of Florida would secede from the Union. Uh, you know, are there parallels? Well, some experts I spoke with say, yeah, sort of. What Florida is about to do is uh, an attempt to nullify federal law. Uh, you know, with a question of not sure we can really do that. You know, after that secession vote, while well, the, the nation of Florida soon joined with other southern states in rebellion and while the, the, you know, the Civil War followed, uh, you know, one small fact I stumbled upon uh, researching the uh, secession convention was that of the 69 convention members who gathered, only seven were born in Florida. So, you know, even then, I guess we had to do with a lot of uh, non-natives in town. But, um, you know, anyway, DeSantis' De De call for nullifying the vaccine mandates for larger businesses, uh, that's 
coming from the federal government that uh, it, it may not be quite as jarring as what happened in 1861 and, and beyond, but uh, some see it as a, a potentially dangerous step in these times. Uh, the idea that unhappy states uh, start trying to reject federal law. Um, so DeSantis and the Republican-controlled legislature look like they're going to be able to do their defiance at least two days more quickly than what happened 160 year, years ago. Well, I mean, if it takes seven days to secede from the union, I would think it would only take a day or two to secede from OSHA, John. I mean, I think they're kind of padding, <laughs> padding it there. That's true. It looks like they, you know, they'll be in town. They'll be able to get, get to a few fundraisers. I don't know if the fundraisers were quite as lavish in uh, Tallahassee of uh, 1861. Yeah, I bet they threw some good parties back then. Well, my number is 19 billion. That's how much infrastructure money is coming to Florida under legislation pushed by President Joe Biden that recently cleared Congress. Florida's share of the money includes 13.1 billion for highways, 20, uh, 245 million for bridges, 2.6 billion to boost public transportation, 1.6 billion for water improvements, 1.2 billion for airports, 198 million for electric uh, vehicle charging uh, network and all the way down to 26 million to protect against wildfires, according to a White House fact sheet. The bill did receive bipartisan support in the House and the Senate, but not a single Florida Republican voted for it. And Governor Ron DeSantis is deriding it as, quote, pork barrel spending. I think a lot of that is because former President Donald Trump has relentlessly criticized the bill and Republicans who supported it. He's really been going after anybody who has backed this legislation, accusing them of helping Democrats get a political victory, even as there is widespread agreement that the nation's infrastructure is badly in need of improvement. And Trump himself was trying to get an infrastructure deal done. So it seems like he's pretty upset that Biden was able to accomplish something that he never got through. And he's pledging to take it out against Republicans who support it, which shows just how difficult it is to get anything done in uh, D.C. these days when there's so much pressure on both sides not to cooperate and give political victories. That wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy. Thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be taking a break next week and returning later in the month. Stay safe. We're out of here.